0: Jesus, we are here to worship and to adore you. There's nobody like you. You are risen. We thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you have poured out your spirit to your church. We thank you for inhabiting the praises of your people. Father, I pray that this morning that you would so strengthen our hearts to believe you. Father, the battle is won always of belief or unbelief. That's why you tell us that it's a fight of faith. And I pray that God today, by your Holy Spirit, that you would so strengthen our hearts to believe you that anything is possible and that no matter what may come, that you will rule and reign and be Lord over all and that you will one day put everything under your feet, including death, all sin, Satan and all his demons, everything destroyed, and we will live with you in perfect peace. Lord, we long for that day, and we pray that until then, that you would please help us to be faithful as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, good to see you guys. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Isaiah, chapters 8 and 9. Now, for those of you that have been coming to Mercy for a while, um, you know that we've been doing this uh, Bible reading plan where we read one chapter a week together, and then we talk about it on Sundays, and we talk about it also in our small churches and uh, discipleship groups um, and all sorts of different things. And this past week, we were in Isaiah 9, Um, However, the more I got into studying Isaiah 9 this past week, Isaiah 9 uh, doesn't hold all of its potency unless you're familiar with Isaiah 8 as well, too. And so what I want to actually do this morning is I want to read Isaiah chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 20, and then I'm going to jump over to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and hopefully we'll be able to unpack the full weight of verses 6 and 7 after we look at chapter 8. <clears throat> but Isaiah chapter eight, starting in verse one. Says, Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest, and Zachariah the son of Jeberechiah to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahir Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over resin and the son of Ramalia, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke to me thus, with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel and the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. Jump over to chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Pray with me one more time. Father, thanks for today. God, we need your help to understand your word. So please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from it. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray, Amen. Okay, so as I told you, as I've told you guys before, there's a little phrase that I've heard John Piper say over the years that I really like. Uh, He says, "When you rake, you get leaves, and when you dig, you get diamonds." And speaking, and he's using that and referring to the Word of God and and how we read it. And to be sure, um, just in a general reading of the Word of God, even the leaves of the Word of God. In other words, just those things we get on the surface are glorious and they are beautiful. But the Old Testament prophets, uh, of which Isaiah is one, they, they kind of require of us that we put aside the rakes and that we take up the shovels. Amen? you you got to do some work, right? Um, how many of you before this week had ever heard of Mahir Shalal Hashbaz? Huh? Don't lie. Okay. Um, Longest name in the Bible, by the way, uh, if you ever want to win a Bible trivia quiz, I guess. Um, But it requires us us to do some work, but man, I'm telling you, there is some treasure here. There is some real treasure about the nature and character of God and what he requires of his people. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to kind of take up the shovels and I want us to do some work together. Um, to kind of make sure that we understand the context in which this takes place and then i want to kind of move from that wide angle lens and kind of zoom in specifically on verses six and seven of chapter nine we'll we'll get there towards the end but hopefully that we feel the full weight um, of just the beauty and the promises that are in those verses after properly understanding the context now how many of you guys got a bulletin this morning anybody okay read your bulletin if you don't read your bulletin you're in trouble this morning um, just kidding but you will there's a little chart on the back here on the back of your bulletin um, Josh or whoever's back there can you pull up that chart on the on the screen as well please um, I kind of did this both ways now I know again this is kind of small but it's a little bit closer maybe you can see it you might not be able to read all of this but I'll kind of try to point you in the right direction to where we begin to understand a little bit of what's going on and I just want to give kind of a kind of a big overview of the history of israel here and there's quite a bit here but let me take this with me and stand back over here um so i can try to explain it so king david and king solomon okay right here the the kingdom was united okay all the 12 tribes were together but solomon's heart went astray Even though he was wise, towards the end of his life, in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely, listen, they will turn away your heart after other gods. And Solomon clung to these women in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. So we know that David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon, his son, comes on the throne, and he starts well, but he does not end well. And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other time, but remember that. Just because you start well doesn't mean that you always end well. And so after Solomon, God kept the kingdom united for David's sake because of the covenant that he had made with David. But after Solomon, the kingdom is divided, and you've got the 12, or ten tribes in the north, okay, and the capital of Israel is Samaria, and that's important. It's going to come into play in the text in which we just looked at, and you've got two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, but just known as the nation of Judah in the south. Okay, And they're down here. Now, this is a couple hundred years later since the time of David and Solomon. And where we're at here is you see that Isaiah is a prophet to Judah, to this southern kingdom, these southern two, these southern two tribes after the nation has split. And there's a couple of kind of key players here that we, we mentioned some of them briefly here as we read uh, primarily in chapter 8. The first is King Ahaz, okay? So he's right here. There's King Ahaz, and you can see, we, we read uh, in chapter 6 a couple weeks ago that Isaiah's um, reign kind of started in the year that King Uzziah, or not his reign, but his ministry, started in the year that King Uzziah died. Jotham reigns very briefly, and now Ahaz is on the scene. Um, all these kings down here, they were kind of a mixed bag some were good and some were bad. Ahaz is not a great one, okay? In Second Chronicles chapter 28, speaking of King Ahaz, it says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he burned his sons as an offering. They offered child sacrifices. That's how wicked King Ahaz is that we just read about. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. In other words, when God brought them into the promised land many years earlier, God drove these nations out, but now the people of Israel and the people of Judah had let them back in. And so you've got Ahaz, who's the king that we read about there, You've also got some other major players, who Pekah, uh, who is, where's Pekah at? He's up here. He's the king of Israel, okay? And you've also got Rezin, who we read about in chapter 8. He's down here. He's the king of Aram or Damascus or Syria. And again, this is why you got to dig. It can be confusing because the Bible at different times will use all these different titles, but it's talking about uh, kind of the same country. Aram and Syria are names for the same country, and Damascus is the capital of Syria or Aram. You follow me? Okay, so we got Rezin, he's on the scene Ahaz is on the scene and Pekah king of Israel is on the scene and of course Isaiah and then there's um, um, Isaiah is going to have two sons who we're going to talk about in a little bit here too um, they're not on the chart here but back in chapter 7 Jonah covered this last week the name of Isaiah's first son was named Sheer Jashub and his name is important it means a remnant shall return and then the second name is Mahir Shalal Hashbaz Okay, who I've already said, and if you don't like the name that your parents gave you, at least they didn't name you that. Okay? But Mahir Shalal Hashbaz means, his name means, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Okay? And we'll talk more about that um, as, as, we go, as we go on. And so the deal is, though, here's the kind of the political intrigue that's going on and the tension within the text, is that Rezin down here, who's a shady Gentile king, has made an alliance... With uh, Pika up here in Israel, and the reason they've made an alliance is, is Assyria, who's this other this other nation down here? Okay, Assyria is kind of the big dog on the block. Okay, so so Judah, Israel, and and Damascus. They're they're kind of always—they're nations that border each other, and they're kind of always having these little turf wars. But nobody's really worried about them ever becoming a world power. Okay, it'd kind of be like if, if Norway, Finland, and Sweden, were kind of fighting with each other, and you're like, okay, they're just kind of fighting among themselves. But nobody's really worried right now that the Swedes are going to take over the world, right? you with me? Okay, no, like, like the major players, the major world powers in the world today are probably, you know, probably America, China, maybe you'd throw Russia in there, okay? Um, those are the ones you got to watch out for, okay? So, so, Israel, Judah, and Damascus are like Finland, Norway, and Sweden, but Assyria, they're like the U.S. or like China. They're the big dog, okay? And when they want to take over, it's going to be tough to stop them. And so, Rezin and Pekah make an alliance together because they see that Assyria is kind of rising. And they want Ahaz to join them, okay? But Ahaz refuses. And nobody really knows why, mainly because Ahaz was pretty much a bad dude, okay? Uh, he just kind of does his own thing. And so, what happens is that in chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, uh, but mainly at the end of chapter 7 that Jonas covered last week, is that Rezin. And Pekah are now coming against Ahaz because he will not make an alliance with them. Okay, you follow me? So this is the time in which uh, in which Isaiah is is living. Now here's the thing, though: all three of those guys—Pekah, the king of Israel; Rezin, the king of Damascus; and Ahaz, the king of Judah—they're all shady characters. They're all shady. Okay, none of them is good. Many times when we read the biblical text, we we like to oversimplify things and think very much in terms of the good guys and the bad guys, right? That's kind of the narrative that we have in our mind. But here's the thing. There really are no good guys other than Jesus in the Bible. And, um, and so it's very much a mixed bag. None of these guys is really following the Lord, but, but God made a promise to David. This is where if you've ever heard of the Davidic covenant, God made a promise to David That he was going to have a descendant sit on the throne forever. And so, despite Ahaz's blatant wickedness, God is still working in some measure to keep his promise that he made to his forefather, David. Okay? And it is an act of total mercy and of total grace that God always keeps his promises to his people. Okay? But now, Ahaz is, is stressing out, and his whole reign, if you read more about his life in 2 Chronicles 28, don't do that now, but you, know, you can do that later if you want, uh, his, his whole life is just stress. It's just stress, anxiety, worry, fear, um, up and down, all over the place, because he does not, because he does not trust the Lord. Okay? And so what happens is back in chapter 7, and again, this is just reviewing a little bit from last week, is back in chapter 7, verse 3, Isaiah goes to him with one of his sons. His first son, Shir Jeshup, and he remember his name means a remnant shall return. Okay, and, the, and these names are important because they speak of God's purposes and of his plans. And so the name Sheer Jeshub, which means a remnant shall return, is a sign to Ahaz that these that the people of Damascus and the people of Israel who are coming against them. So the reason there's going to be a remnant of them that returns is because they're first going to eventually be carried off in captivity by Assyria. So it's both a threat that he's eventually going to return them to the land, but it's also um, a promise to Ahaz in that moment that Assyria is going to take them off. You don't need to worry about them. And so look at chapter 7 very quickly. Again, just to review from last week, is that this is where, and Jonas did a great job of touching on this, chapter 7, verse 9. God, through Isaiah, tells Ahaz, if you're not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. And then God basically gives him this great promise and said, look, ask for me a sign. I'll give you a sign. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to take care of you. Just trust me. But Ahaz literally just rejects it. And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so here again in chapter 8, the same drama is still happening. Um, uh, Pika and Rezin are still coming out against uh, ahaz because he does not does not trust the lord they don't totally annihilate them but they do some serious damage to them god gives them another promise this time he does it in even more of a prophetic way so look at isaiah chapter 8 um verse 1 is he tells isaiah ahead of time that he's to go get two witnesses and to write down the name of his son that he has not yet had his wife has not even yet conceived him but he's like, you're going to have a son, and his name again will be Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. Okay? And he goes, says, Get two witnesses, write it down on a piece of paper. And then verse three, it says, And I went into the prophetess, that's his wife, Isaiah's wife, and she conceived and she bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name again, Mehir Shalal Hashbaz. And again, his name means quick to the plunder, speedy to the prey. And you're like, What does that, what does that mean? Well, that is what the Assyrians are going to be yelling. When they come against Rezin and Pekah. Are you still following me? Okay. So Ezra, Rezin and Pekah, kings of Israel and Damascus, coming against, against Judah. Again, Ahaz, very wicked guy, but God gives him another generous, gracious, merciful, merciful sign here with another one of Isaiah's, Isaiah's sons. And he's saying, look, don't, don't worry about it. Those guys are going to be carried off by Assyria. And Isaiah's son is a sign that this is going to happen. And the Assyrians, when they come and they defeat Pekah and Rezin, they're going to go quick to the the prey, quick to the plunder. In other words, they're just going to wipe them out and take all their stuff. Okay? That's what that means. So, in the end, though, here's what happens in chapter 8 before we move into chapter 9. In the end, Ahaz refuses to trust the Lord. And instead, he's going to eventually go on and he's going to pay tribute to Assyria thinking that that will somehow satisfy them or appease them. But it does not. And even though Assyria, and can I get that back up there again, Josh? And even though Assyria is eventually going to carry Israel away and not Judah, um, Judah is essentially just going to be a puppet of Assyria. Okay? Because, Because Ahaz does not, Trust the Lord, and His reign is really going not gonna not mean anything. He's just going to be a puppet of them because he did not because he did not trust the Lord. Okay, so is everybody still with me? Are you still awake? Are you good? I know that was a lot of information. I tried to boil it down as best I could. Um, a lot of weird names, a lot of unfamiliar countries, uh, but hopefully that that makes sense. Is that Isaiah's a good guy? But he's prophesying in the midst of some very godless leadership. And Ahaz refuses to trust the Lord. But let me just, I want to pull a couple of big, kind of big ideas here, okay, from the text. And just leave that chart up there for a little bit, Josh. Number one, going back to the big history here, okay? The reason that there is turmoil and unrest in Israel is because that there is more than one kingdom. The kingdom has been divided. And the reason that there is more than one kingdom is because there is more than one king. I want you to hear me on this, folks. Because it is the same exact reason, and it is a beautiful picture to us. The exact same reason why if there is turmoil, if there is anxiety, if there is worry, if there is stress, if there is lack of fruitfulness in your life, It's for the same reason. Because there's two kingdoms at war, and the reason there's two kingdoms is because there's more than one king. Amen? Jesus Christ is Lord. And as his people, we are to live every single moment of our lives by faith with him on the throne. And it is when we fail to trust him, it is when we fail to heed his word. It is when we try to do things in our own strength. It is when we try to make ungodly alliances and just try to figure things out on a natural level that there is always turmoil and there is always war and there is always stress and there is always anxiety and there is lack of blessing and there is lack of fruitfulness that God intends for his people. And so the big idea this morning that I want to unpack for a little bit is who's on the throne this morning? Who's on the throne in your heart right now? I don't want to go too much into this, but, but, but the reality is, is that like Jesus could have been on the throne yesterday and he might not be on the throne today. He might be on the throne right now this morning because you know we're in church, but he might not be on the throne tomorrow morning. Because there's a central issue that we'll talk about here in just a second that it always comes down to. James puts it like this. Again, listen just to, it's a picture, but listen to the language. Of James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Listen, your passions are at war, where? Within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly that you may spend it on your own passions. James goes on, and again, James. let's just let James preach to us a little bit here this morning. Verse 4 of chapter 4. You adulterous people! Do you not know that friendship with the world, just like Ahaz was trying to make friends with the world, trying to appease and send offering to the king of Assyria, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't want that. <laughs> Do you? Is Jesus on the throne this morning? David said it like this in Psalm 86. Again, from, from beginning to end, Old Testament, New, New, New Testament, um, the covenants are different, but the central message is the same. It's who's on the throne. David's prayed it like this in Psalm 86, 11. He said, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And he said, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. That's the opposite of having a divided heart. Remember when I, when I read back in uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, what was Solomon's issue? Why did the kingdom even become divided? Because he says it like four times in like two verses. Because his heart was led astray. Solomon had a divided heart. David knew that he had that same propensity, just like we all do, and he prayed, Unite my heart, Lord, to fear your name. It's the same idea, although different language in Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. They're at war with each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes on and he lists a bunch of works of the flesh. But then he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Jesus is on the throne, or just saying the same thing in a different way, when we are being led by the Spirit, same thing, when we're filled with the Spirit, we walk in that fruitfulness, the fruit of the Spirit. Love and all those things that I just mentioned, but when we don't, there is war, there is turmoil, there is chaos in our own hearts, just like there was in Israel and Judah back in that day and again i think it's fitting this morning cuz i don't know justin and avery i see avery there i'm not sure where justin is but two guys getting baptized this morning want to remind you guys but but all of us this is what they're going to be proclaiming in a little bit when we put them down and bring them back up that their lives belong to jesus that he is lord that they belong to him And that they are making a public testimony and a public confession. That they have trusted in him alone for salvation and they want to live for him all the days of their life. Forever. So here's the issue and I've kind of already mentioned it in passing but if we can just sit in it for a little bit. If you're here this morning and you would describe your heart as being similar to the nation of Judah back at this time meaning that there's turmoil, distress, anxiety, worry, fear, chaos, lack of clarity. What is the answer? The answer is always the same. It's always the same. Here it is. Just trust and obey. That's it. Trust and obey. We we want it to be more profound than this, I think. Well, you don't understand the spiritual warfare. You don't understand the way I was raised. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not poking at any of that. We, we've, the devil's real. His attacks are real. His flaming darts that he fires at, at us that we looked at several weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 6, they're real. The trauma of our lives is real. The hurt and the pain is real. I get it. But here's the thing, folks. Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you trust him, I don't care what it is that seems to be greater. There is no one greater than him. No one. But it always comes down to this, will you trust and obey? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. You gonna join me or not? Do I have to do this by myself? Come on. Man, you got (laughs) to be happy in Jesus and to trust and obey. You only did the second half. Let's do it again. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's always the issue. It's always the issue. And the devil's a liar, and man, he's sneaky. And I can't tell you how many times I've believed his lie in my own life, And and the lie was, I thought the issue was something else. I thought it was more complicated than that. But it's a lie. If you'll trust him and obey him, and really those aren't two separate things. They're kind of one thing. It's like James says, that faith without works is dead. And if we believe him, then all we're trying to do is as best we can run to his word and align our lives with what he says. And he'll take care of it. Again, in James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That's what Ahaz was like. That's what the people were like in both Judah and Israel. Sometimes they're sometimes sometimes they're not. Be firm in your faith. Trust and obey. That's it. Now, I want us to look at the text specifically in Isaiah chapter 8. Look at the second part of it that we read this morning, verses 11 through 20. And he, he doesn't use the, the exact words of, of trust and obey. But I want to show you, again, the, the Bible says it's, it's essentially the same thing or the same idea, but in different ways. they are just different aspects of it. And I want to point out just very quickly in the text here, kind of five things that will accompany trust and obedience. Just seeking to trust and obey the Lord. Okay, first of all, look at verse 12 in chapter 8, is the fear of the Lord. If you trust and obey God, verse 12, again, this is God speaking to Isaiah, and Isaiah is writing it down here now. Well, let me go back to verse 11. He says, For the Lord spoke to me thus with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. And he says, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. We should not be moved as the people of God by the same things that, are, that, the, that the world is afraid of and that moves the world from a place of stability. Verse 13, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. There is none greater than him. Him alone we must fear and him alone we must honor. And again, fear of the Lord. Also, a second look at well, in verse 13, this idea of honor. They go together. Fear and honor. That are you more concerned about what God thinks than what man thinks? I, I, listen, people-pleasing has always been around. It's not a thing that is unique to our day, but I, man, is it something we struggle with. Amen? from how many likes we get on our social media posts or or, or whatever, we are just inundated with what people think about us. And it's okay to have a, a place for that, but it's not the first place. The first place, the primary person that we are to honor and care about what he thinks is Almighty God. Third, sometimes trusting and obeying, it looks like waiting Look at verse 17 of what Isaiah is told here, or or what Isaiah says, I should say. He says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. The nation of both Israel and Judah, they were coming under divine judgment because of their rebellion as a nation. And Isaiah says, despite the fact that that's happening, I am going to wait upon the Lord. Waiting can be difficult. It is not easy, but it is always worth it. How many of you guys put your Christmas presents out for your kids like on Christmas Eve the night before? And how many of you like to torture them and put them out early? Yeah? I love putting them out early. Make them wait. Make them wait. That's how we wait for the Lord. It's not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting with anticipation, knowing that he is faithful and that he is going to answer. And he, and we might not know exactly what the specific of the answer is going to be, but that he always has an answer for everything. Fourth, trusting and obeying. It looks like seeking him. It looks like seeking him. Look at verse 19. This is how bad the people of Judah had gotten. It says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums, and of the necromancers who chirp and who mutter. In other words, they they were going to sorcery. They They were going to worldly, dark, spiritual means in order to try to fix their problems and figure out direction for their lives and for themselves as a nation, as a whole. He says, should not a people inquire of their God And how many times do people who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we run to other means. We run to self-help. We run to personality profiles and all that type of stuff. We run run to nice little worldly leadership principles, which, yeah, they, they have a little bit of truth in them. But they're no replacement for Jesus, folks. He alone is Lord. And the world is constantly offering something else as the answer. But Jesus is the answer. And his people should inquire of him. They should seek him. And lastly, if we're trusting and obeying, we should be running to his word. Interesting fact here. um, In verse 16 says, bind up the testimony. And the word for testimony here in other places is translated law. He's speaking of the whole law, the whole word of God. Bind up the testimony, bind up the law, and he says, seal the teaching among my disciples. This is the first place in the Bible that the word disciple is mentioned. Seal the teaching among my disciples. Then look at verse 20. He says, to the teaching and to the testimony. I know oh, this is God's word through Isaiah to the people, this disobedient People who are, who, who are using dark means and necromancers and mediums, sorcery. And God says, look to my word. Look to my word, to the teaching and to the testimony. And how many other places we as the people of God still run when we have stress, drama, attack of some sort in our life, we run to other places many times before running to seeking God's face and to his word. It's all here, folks, all that we need, all that we need. The word of God is sufficient. And so, again, the issue this morning is who is on the throne. If he's not on the throne, just trust and obey. Run to his word, honor him, fear him, wait on him, seek his face, and seek to obey him. Now, now, we want to trust and obey this king. We want this king to be on this throne, but let's talk a little bit about this king. Let's talk about this king. There's no king like this king. Look at verses 9, or I'm sorry, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born. Now, again, there's something here that it's called a motif, okay? Fancy little word. A motif is like a little mini theme in the Bible that helps underscore the central idea or point of a textual unit, okay? So now, one of the motifs in these few chapters here in Isaiah is this idea of these names. So remember I told you about Isaiah's kids? Shir, Jeshub, and Mehir Shalal Hashbaz? Yeah? Remember their names meant something? And their their names, the, the whole point of their names, if you were following what I was saying when I was trying to explain that, is that their names were signs, were to be a sign to Ahaz and to Judah of God's sovereign presence, And that he was going to accomplish his plans and his purposes in this temporary season in Judah's history. Okay? So the names pointed to God's sovereign presence and that he was going to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Okay. So now in chapter 9, though, we have another child coming on the scene. This child, his name is even better than Mehir Shalal Hashbaz. And it's, it's one child, yet he's got a couple names. His name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And his name, again, points to God's plans and to his purposes. But not just in a temporary way, in an eternal way. Are you following me? This is unbelievably good news, folks. God is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. Who he is, his name is glorious. He is wonderful counselor. Now again, in Israel's history, why was the kingdom divided? Because of Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man to have ever lived. His counsel, people, other kings and queens, the Queen of Sheba, they, they, they would come from all over, from the ends of the earth, to hear the wonderful counsel of Solomon. Yet at the end of his life, his heart went astray. But now here comes one, and his name is Wonderful Counselor. The name Wonderful, in other places, it's translated supernatural. That whatever you need, his, God offers, Jesus is for us. He is supernatural counsel for us. Can anybody use some counsel in their lives right now in this season? Anybody? Jesus is the answer. When we say that Jesus is the answer, I want you to know this. We mean it. We mean it. It's not just Christian talk. It's it's not just nice little Christianese, just things that we say. He is the wonderful counselor. He is better than Solomon. His second name, mighty God. David was considered the mightiest, the strongest king in Israel. They sang songs about David. Remember that? When David's first coming on the scene, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. David was the mighty king up until that point, but one greater than David was coming. And his name that points to God's plan and to his purposes, his name is Mighty God. It's Jesus. Revelation chapter 19, we, we haven't even seen the end of all of this yet. In Revelation chapter 19, this mighty God that is his name is coming back, and, and John says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on, on, it, on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. With with Which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine press, wine press of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name which is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't even know what to say, other than just read that. I can't add anything to that. His name is Wonderful Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. Now this one usually confuses people, but here's the thing you've got to understand, because we know this is the Son. But when we speak of the Trinity, when we speak of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we sang about earlier, when we're speaking of the Trinity and we use those names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're referring to their relationship amongst themselves to themselves, okay? But the Son and the Spirit are co- equal and co-eternal with the Father from all of eternity past. And here, Jesus is also referred to as everlasting Father, but not in the sense of amongst the Trinity, but in the sense of time and of creation. He has always existed. He is the Father of time. The book of Colossians chapter 1 tells us that it was through Him, that it was through Jesus, that all things were made, whether things in heaven or things on earth. He is the Father of time. He is co-equal with the ancient of days, as Daniel talks about. And so again, David's reign was pretty good. Israel was united. They were doing pretty good. Solomon, yeah, he, he turned away at the end of his life, but you know, at least the kingdom was united, and you know, there was unbelievable wealth in all of Israel, and things were going good. But guess what? They died. They died, and now we have the mess that we have here. But this is everlasting Father. He's never gonna die. He's greater than Solomon, he's greater than David, and he's gonna, his reign is going to endure forever. It will never go away. And lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. Peace is the thing that Israel, Judah, they they always they always wanted. And this Jesus, who is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He came, and on the night that he was betrayed, just a little bit before he was arrested and eventually went to the cross for our sins, he told his disciples, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace, my peace. The Prince of Peace has given you his peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. If your heart is troubled and your heart is afraid this morning, trust and obey. I won't make you sing it again. But the Prince of Peace isn't ruling then. All right, let's wrap up here. Justin and Avery, you guys can go back around. I showed you, and come out the side, and we'll baptize you shortly. Um, so we wrap up this morning. I know I've repeated this a lot, but again, it's the question, I think, on the table from this text. Is who's on the throne? Who's on the throne right now? All of the Christian life, folks, is one of Repentance. It's one of turning away from trusting in ourselves or from whatever alliances we've made with the world. And it's turning again and again in simple trust and obedience to God. Um, There might be some areas of your life where you're doing a pretty good job trusting him. Maybe in your marriage, you're doing a good job of trusting him. Maybe at your work, And for your finances, for your provision, you're doing a good job of trusting him. But maybe with your kids, you're not doing such a good job of trusting him. Maybe you are doing a good job of trusting him with your kids or with your marriage. But maybe it's in regards to your finances or at your work or in your relationships that you're not doing a good job of trusting him. Folks, he is Lord of every area of your life. And we don't give him our heart in compartments. We don't give him just a little bit and a little bit. He he gets it all. Is he Lord of every area of your life this morning? And 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 that's bad wording. He is Lord. Are you trusting him as Lord? He is king. Are you trusting in his rule and in his reign? And lastly, just for us as as a church... And for those of you, especially that call Mercy Hill home, folks, I I understand that we're always going to have struggles with fear and with worry and with anxiety. Like, like I get it. I mean, we're all we're all human, and it and it comes. But can I just if I could just share my heart? Like, I'm tired of seeing Christians be afraid. Does that make sense? What are you worried about? Jesus Christ is king. The wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The one who's wiser than Solomon. Stronger than David. The everlasting father. That's who we worship. Let's act like it. Amen? Let's act like it. Let me see if these guys are over here. Um. Hopefully they're behind this curtain when I go. Let's sing like he's risen. Amen? Let's sing like he's alive. Let's sing like he is the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor, the everlasting Father. Um, Let's give him all the worship, all the honor, all the glory, all the praise.